Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one, it is episode number 36, and we're calling this one Pounding Pittsburgh. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. The guys are on live from 5.30 to 10, Monday through Friday from 5 to 5.30. I get things warmed up, and as always, I am joined by my pal Crawley. Crawley, happy Monday. Happy New Week. How are you doing? I'm doing better than Pittsburgh box office, I could tell you that much. But uh, you can follow us on Fly the W670 and Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at Fly the W on Facebook, and you can email us at Fly the W670 at gmail.com. All right, Crowley. Interesting, uh, interesting four games for our Cubs out in Pittsburgh over the last couple of games. Let's start out with the first game, which I'm gonna just I'm just gonna blow it all out right here, Crowley. It was my favorite, my favorite of the four. Game one, Hayden with Nesky, West Nasty on the mound for our Cubs. Yeah, you had Hayden Wisniewski going off against Mitch Keller. And, uh, you know, Steve Stone used to say to all you youngsters out there, please don't, don't, you, if you were watching, if your youngster was watching that game, try to clean their eyes out. This was some bad baseball all weekend. But Hayden Wisniewski made it look a lot better. Um, top of the second, David Bodie has a leadoff single. Alfonso Rivas flies out. Nelson Velasquez strikes out. Michael Hermosillo singles and Christopher Morel, who I'm seeing tonight at Club 400, doubles. And so Bodie and Hermosillo score. The Cubs are up to nothing. Bottom of the third, one out walk to Jason DeLay. O'Neill Cruz grounds out, moving DeLay to second. What did I say on the last podcast? Don't pitch to Brian Reynolds. Don't pitch mm-hmm. to Brian Reynolds. He singles, DeLay <clears throat> scores. Cubs lead is cut in half, two to one. Top of the seventh, Alfonso Rivas will single. Velasquez strikes out, Rivas steals second, Michael Hermosillo singles, and Rivas scores. The Cubs are in front 3-1. to one. And as I also said on the last podcast, Kevin Newman stinks against everybody other than the Cubs. <laughs> Hello, Newman, homers, and he cuts the lead to 3-2, to two, but that's as close as Pittsburgh will get. Um, the final Cubs, three Pirates, two was Nesky, 6.1 innings pitch, five hits, two runs, two walks, six Ks. Mark Leiter did a good job. Um, he picked up the save going 2.1 innings. The offense, we talked about these awful lineups, three runs on seven hits, five left on base, two for seven with runners in scoring position. Mitch Keller, six innings pitch, two hits, two runs, two walks, seven Ks. They should have hit that guy like a piñata, and they didn't get much off him. <laughs> Their offense had two runs, six hits, <laughs> ten left on base, but Pittsburgh went one for nine with runners in scoring present, uh, scoring position. Brian Reynolds, three for three. But the story, Dustin, the story of the game was Hayden Wesneski's immaculate inning. 
Nine straight strikes for three batters, three outs. The first time the Cubs have had an immaculate inning since 9-11-2004. Latroy Hawkins versus the Marlins. And it's the only the fifth time in franchise history it happened. The other three times besides Latroy were all in the 70s. Milt Pappas in 71, Suter in 77, and Lynn McLaughlin in 1979. Yeah, that was special, Crowley. What, what a... What a special event. Really cool to see. I don't care who the three guys were, okay, that Hayden struck out. I don't care. They're major leaguers. They were playing major league baseball. I don't want to hear it's the Pirates. I don't want to hear it's the bottom third of the order. That was fun. That was good. That was just another reason why every game matters, okay? That's why every game matters. That's why every podcast matters. And that's why every time you listen or tune into the Cubs, you're going to see something special. That was special. Hayden, I love his personality. He's very quirky, I guess, is the best way I would describe it. And he's not like a normal pitcher. Like a lot of times, like during the day of games, you know, pitchers are very focused and, you know, you don't talk to him that much. And he is just all over the place, bouncing off the walls. Uh, I love him. I think he's absolutely fun to watch. And so that was an absolutely just an amazing moment. And, uh, you know, like you said, you never know any given day what you watch on a baseball game. You and I have watched a lot of games. I don't ever remember, you know, I don't remember Hawkins' immaculate inning, but, yeah. you know, just things that you may not see on a daily basis. Yeah, super fun. I love the energy. I love his emotion on the mound, um, just the body language, the whole thing. So, okay, we get the uh, the Cubs get that first win Thursday night. We go to game two, Javier Assad throwing for our Northsiders. Yeah, Javier Assad versus Bryce Wilson. And, you know, this was just ugly, sloppy baseball. Um, Javier Assad, we're talking about bouncing back from a rough start. Um, it was okay. Like I said, not, not, not great, not bad. The main thing that we're going to keep talking about with Assad is, yeah, I don't care if it's the Pirates, you can't give away free bases with the walks. And that's something he's going to have to deal with and, and learn how to control. Bottom of the first, O'Neill Cruz walks. Steals second, advances to throw on a, advances to third on a throwing error on Higgins, and guess who scores? Brian Reynolds singles. Pirates lead one nothing. Top of the second, Ian Happ leadoff double. Patrick Wisdom is going to get hot. He has a home run, and the Cubs lead two to one. Uh, Jack Sawinski though answers in the bottom of the second. Local kid made good, and the game's tied at two. Bottom of the third, Brian Reynolds reaches on a throwing error by Esteban Kairos, who had a good series. Rodolfo Castro pops out. Cal Mitchell doubles. Reynolds scores. Cubs up 3-2. And then, hello, Kevin Newman. He doubles. Cal Mitchell scores. And the Pirates increase their lead 4-2. That's another thing that didn't help this game was the errors when you got a rookie on the mound. It can't happen. But luckily for the Cubs, it's the Pirates. And in the top of the six, Patrick Wisdom draws a leadoff walk. Wild pitch advances him to second. Reva strikes out swinging. P.J. Higgins walks. Jared Young singles, and the bases are loaded. Fran Miel Reyes draws a walk. Wisdom scores. Cubs trail four to three. New pitcher comes in. He walks Zach McKinstry, and the game's tied as four. Esteban Kairos with an infield chopper. Everybody's safe. Cubs lead five to four. David Bodie strikes out swinging, and then a weird play to end the inning. Relief pitcher Manny Banuelos throws a pitch that hits home plate, and the catcher is just, you know, Zach Collins can't find it. Which way did it go? Which way did it go? It went – I've never seen this before. The ball hits the plate and goes straight up. Banuelos sees it off the mound, and he comes charging, and as the ball's coming down, he grabs it out of the air and tags Christopher Morrell out to end the inning, but very bizarre. Very bizarre. Something you will not see any other time. Never seen anything like it. Not even close. That was weird. And it's got to be just miserable to be a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. Uh, it's a shame. And, and then you get to the bottom of the seventh. And who else? Brian Reynolds, home run. Game is tied at five. You get to the top of the eighth. P.J. Higgins leadoff single. Jared Young walks. Morrell with the sack bunt. The runners advance. Zach McKinsey reaches on a fielder's choice. Higgins out at home. Young goes to third. But luckily, Esteban Cairo's with a single, young scores, and the Cubs lead 6-5, to five, and that's a final. Assad, four innings pitched, four hits, four runs, three of those earned, but three walks. And that can't, I mean, that's almost a walk an inning. 
He had two Ks. The offense had six run on 10 hits, 11 left on base, four for 15 with runners in scoring position. Kairos was two for four with two RBI. Wisdom one for three with that big homer. Uh, Higgins two for three, but the Cubs defense had three errors. While for the Pirates, Bryce Wilson uh, had five innings pitched, five hits, two runs, three walks and five Ks. Their offense had five runs on six hits, eight left on base, two for six with runners in scoring position. And the Ren- and Reynolds, of course, two for four with two RBIs. He had a home run. Yep, so now the Cubs got uh, two Ws in the book, Crowley. You're feeling pretty, uh, pretty good heading into uh, Saturday night out in Pittsburgh. The Cubs were taking on the Pirates once again, and Wade Miley was on the mound for our Cubs. Yeah, Miley versus Johan Oviedo. I believe that was the trade that made with the Cardinals so that the Cardinals got Jose Quintana. Bottom of the first, one out. Who else? Brian Reynolds singles. Rodolfo Castro, he's the guy who hits behind Reynolds. He had such a tough series, but this time he doubles. Uh, Reynolds gets to third, and then a Diego Castillo sack fly makes it one nothing. But then we get to the bottom of the fifth when everything kind of goes haywire. Ben Gamble walks. Greg Allen with a weak ground ball. Miley picks it up, throws it into the outfield. Gamble to third, Allen to second. Miley out of the game with an oblique injury. Albert Alzlai comes into the game. He gets Jason DeLay to pop out, but then uh, Chi Juan Bay doubles. The Pirates lead 3-0. And then Jack Zawinski, local kid made good, comes in to pinch hit for Diego Castillo. He hits a three-run blast, makes it 6-0 Buckos, and that's going to be the final. Miley, four innings pitch, three runs, one walk, three Ks. Alzlai, three innings pitch, three hits, three runs, three Ks. Offense, shutout on five hits. Six left on base, 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. Cubs defense with two more errors, so five errors in two games. The Pirates. I'm not sure there. I'm not sure there, Crowley. What I'm more upset about? Am I more upset with the five hits, or am I more upset now with the five errors in the two games? That that that's what's discouraging. I know the group isn't the group that's going to be here come 2023, but it's still discouraging. Yeah, it's just you can't play sloppy, you know what I mean? And, and and you know, that's the frustrating thing is, is you know, sometimes, you know, you tip your hat to a pitcher. Okay, Oviedo, great job, man. But errors are, are in your control. That is 100% in your control, and you cannot have five in two days. And especially, like I said, you know, with Javier Assad on the mound, that bothered me because, you know, that kid's, you know, trying to make a name for himself, trying. You, you got to play some good defense just in general, so – Oviedo went seven innings pitched, three hits, zero runs, zero walks, seven Ks. Their offense had six runs on seven hits, five left on base, two for seven with runners in scoring position. And Sawinski was one for two with that three-run homer. Yeah, Sawinski had a nice series for himself against his uh, hometown team. So the Cubs now have two wins against one loss. We move into Sunday. The Cubs looking to avoid the split, want to take three out of four from those bums from Pittsburgh. Adrian Sampson, our guy, kind of our adopted guy, Crowley, the last half of the season, is the starter in game number four. We call him the giant slayer on this podcast. Adrian Sampson versus young rookie Luis Ortiz, highly touted for Pittsburgh Pirates, but that doesn't phase Adrian Sampson. Top of the fifth, Patrick Wisdom does it again. Home run number 25, McKinstry and Kairos were along for the ride, and the Cubs lead 3 nothing. Bottom of the six, Brian Reynolds, who else? Solo home run. Pirates trail three to one. Top of the seventh, Esteban Cairo singles. Wisdom hit by pitch, Hap singles. Cairo scores, Wisdom to second. Cubs lead four to one. Horner strikes out, but a double steal puts runners at second and third. Nelson Velasquez reaches on a fielding error by O'Neill Cruz. Wisdom and Hap score, and the Cubs lead six to one. Esteban Kairos is going to add an RBI single in the top of the eighth to make it 7-1. Kairos for the week with a 389 average, 500 on base percentage, 889 OPS with three RBIs. Had a nice little week for himself. The only thing is, is, uh, you know, at, at the end of the game, you're, you're taking a look at Eric Ulrich. Couldn't, you know, he had an 8-1 lead and really, you know, just kind of really struggled in that last uh, inning. I was kind of like, come on, dude, you got a seven-run lead. You're going to sit there and – and make I think they had, they had to get him out. He couldn't finish the inning. So right, I mean, pound the zone. I mean, just trust right. your defense and pound the zone. Trust your stuff. Right. So Samson had six innings pitch, four hits, one run, three Ks. The offense eight runs on ten hits, nine left on base, three for eleven with runners in scoring position. Kairos two for three with R and RBI. Wisdom one for four with that three run homer. 
and the Cubs defense adds one more error to their total. While the Pirates' Ortiz went 4.2 innings pitch, one run, two walks, seven Ks. Offense had three runs on six hits, six left on base, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position, and the Pirates had four errors. Unbelievable. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 36 of the Fly the W670 Podcast. We're calling this one Pounding Pittsburgh as the Cubs went into Pittsburgh for a four-game set, took three out of four, so we all have to be happy about that. Crowley, let's talk some roster moves. You just mentioned in Sunday's game, Nico Horner. So we had a Nico Horner sighting. He was back DHing and batting fifth on Sunday. Yeah, great to see him back. You know, I mean, he, you know, he wants to be back. I was kind of, I was, I was fine with him, you know, kind of calling it a season, but he's back. He's going to try to get, uh, you know, his rhythm down, his timing down, but uh, we'll see what happens. I wonder if we'll see Wilson Contreras on Tuesday when the Cubs welcome in the Phillies. I mean, from all, from everything I'm seeing, you know, full baseball activities, including running bases, that was a thing, you know, where, you know, it was an ankle. So looks like, you know, we should see him. Um, Justin Steele throwing bullpen sessions, you know, he had that lower back issue. And then Kyle Hendricks is not throwing, which is what we thought was going to happen. But it was interesting. They had a little note that he's focusing on strength program in Arizona to address some aspects of his delivery. So I'm kind of curious what that means. What does that mean? Well, we'll have Tommy Hadovy on the show before this week is out. And that's something we will, uh, we will bring up. So make sure you're listening to Mully and Haw weekdays, 530 to 10, of course, on 670 to score the radio home of your Chicago Cubs. And speaking of the Cubs and the minor leagues, Crowley, some updates to give everybody on them. Yeah. Um, as you know, the South Bend Cubs are the Midwest league champions, but now the Tennessee Smokies, they beat our, the trash pandas, our favorite name three to one to advance to the Southern league championship series. Uh, Harrison Wenson hit two home runs in that game, but now you think about it. You had three affiliates in the postseason, two of them in the finals. One of them has already won. So now the Smokies advanced to play the Pensacola blue Wahoos. They are a Marlins affiliate. Is that okay to say on the radio? I, I am. I'm them. Just Maybe read the name. Podcast. Here. <laughs> Maybe only in a podcast, but game one was in Pensacola. So they're out of Florida and the Cubs win four to one. Jonathan Peralta had three hits. Nelson Maldonado had a solo home run. DJ Hertz pitched some good mm-hmm. innings. So for those of you that have been following, um, you know, everything that's been going on with the minors, it's been exciting. Uh, game two is Tuesday night, seven 15 in Tennessee. So, the Tennessee Smokies have two games to try to close this thing out and become the Southern league champions. And that would be number two on the Cubs belt there. That would be awesome. Go Smokies. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 36 of the Fly the W670 Podcast. This one we're calling Pounding Pittsburgh as the Cubs take three of four as they get out of Pittsburgh and return to Wrigley Field to start a series on Tuesday against the Phillies. But before we get into that, we are going to talk to the champs from the South Bend Cubs, and we're going to talk to the play-by-play announcers of the Cubs down in South Bend, Max Toma and Brendan King. Reed Reddys and his 0-2. Swinging a ground ball over towards first. Murray backhands it, flips it to Reed, and it's over. For the second time in the last three seasons, the South Bend Cubs are Midwest League champions. Midwest 
and a winner-take-all Wednesday night game in Northeast Ohio. It just felt like destiny. Destiny it was, and I have our next two guests on Fly the W, the play-by-play -play announcers for your Midwest League champion Cubs, Max Toma and Brendan King. How are you guys? What up, Crowley? Doing fantastic. Oh, my God. The cardiac Cubs do it again. And this this was this was a something, man. This was a special season. And, and for both of you guys, uh, you know, Brendan, you've been through a championship season before. Max, how about you? Is this your first time? First one. All right. So, Brendan, you, you've been through this before. Tell I mean, how does it feel compared to 2019? I think there were a lot of people that were trying to make similarities, probably, and at the same time, there were some things that felt the same, but there were a lot of things that felt different. I think the things that felt the same was the way that this team played on the road, just like the 2019 team did, because at the time in the Midwest League playoffs, there were three series. You had to win three separate sets to win a title. It's a little different here now because there's only two and there's only four total playoff teams, but beside the point, I mean, Crowley, this 2022 South Bend Cubs team had to win three separate backs against the wall, must win games on the road. One of them in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in the division series. The other two, as you just heard Max call the championship, and a great call at that, uh, you had to win two games in Lake County. And Crowley, you were at the championship game one in South Bend. And you know, quite frankly, Crowley, that was a pretty demoralizing loss. I mean, you walked away from that game and, you, and you're like, wow, I mean, that's just one that – you wish South Bend could have had. Well, look, I mean, you put the caps on, you get the boys ready to play outside of Cleveland, and and they delivered. I mean, two spectacular games on the road, and, and next thing you know, you're popping champagne, and you're on that bus ride home, and it was unbelievable. Max, for you, I mean, first time around, I mean, this is going to always hold a special place in your heart. This team, this season, I mean, you're never. that's obviously going to be one you never forget. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I haven't even announced for many, many teams that have made the postseason in my life. So, um, you know, for us to make the playoffs, this felt like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of turnover in any minor league roster at any level, but I mean, when we got this roster on opening day, you felt like we were going to have a tremendous year. You know, you promote a ton of guys who have had incredible success. You just kind of, instead of replacing them, kind of just reload them with talent from low A. Uh, this team was always special all year long. They really clicked on the stretch. It's a lot of young hitters that just really found it late in the season in the second half. Uh, you, you knew this team was going to be postseason bound, but you also know that, you know, in two, three game series, anything's possible. I mean, I, I think on paper, we would like to uh, think that, you know, of the four teams in the playoffs, we were certainly the best. Uh, a really strong rotation, a really deep lineup, one through nine and some great guys at the back end of the bullpen. But, you know, three game series, anything's possible. And, you know, as BK said, kind of kind of a demoralizing, gut wrenching loss there in game one to lose that game at home when you had a five-run lead and then have to go, you know, have a day off. And you never know if that's a good day off or not because you just had a bad loss. Maybe you'd like to just get back out there the next day uh, and just forget about it and put that game behind you. Um, but, you know, you have an extra day to dwell on it. You go on the road to Northeast Ohio, and then you come back out, you know, come back twice in game two on two separate occasions, win that game by one. And then you felt really, really comfortable going into game three, and, the you know, the bat just came out firing. I don't know. I, I'm a Cub fan too long, man. I never feel too comfortable. Uh, but, you know, I was taking a look here at, at the box scores on some of these, and I was listening to you guys on the uh, minor league baseball app, you know, and, and that very first game, the, the South Bend Cubs versus the Cedar Colonels. I mean, you talk about Luis Devers pitching a great game. He makes one mistake in the first inning. That I mean, that's it, you know, and, and sometimes that's all it is. And the Cubs are going into the eighth inning down one nothing at home on the opener and and all of a sudden once again that eighth in you know the, the that late heroic magic happens for the south bend team you know the, walk us through that eighth inning for you guys you guys are sitting here it's one nothing you got six out left to play with were you guys at all kind of like uh, or are you pretty confident well i'll let max touch on this too because uh, max wrote the game notes here this season and there was always a little tidbit about how many times this team came back in a game and just how good they were late. But Crawley, what you mentioned about Luis Devers. So in the playoffs, he was spectacular in each start, but his last start of the season, he gave up two runs. That's the most runs he gave up during his time in South Bend. So how would you like <laughs> to give up two runs in a playoff game? And that's the most you've given up at high A. So, I mean, we, we talked a lot about it on the broadcast that Luis Devers is well on his way to be, becoming the Chicago Cubs minor league pitcher of the year for sure. But uh, to answer your question, Crawley, I, 
I don't know if I ever felt at any point this season that this team was truly out of it. I know that's kind of wild to say because, like, all right, what if you're down, like, you know, six runs and late? But in, in any normal circumstance where you're down two going to the ninth inning, no matter what time of year, too, you felt confident that the bats were coming up that could produce a rally, whether that was Mervis or Canario due up early in the season, whether that was when PCA came up from Myrtle Beach when he really got comfortable with high A pitching and either Owen Casey or Jordan Wogu was batting after him, or even late here in the season where Luis Verdugo on the regular basis was batting fifth or sixth every day when he started the season batting ninth consistently. And uh, Crawley, we talked a lot about it too, that Johendrick Pinango finished this season hitting seventh or eighth every day. And that was because his bat dropped off just a little bit, but you know, Hendrick Pinago is a seven hitter. I mean, come on, man. So no matter what portion of the lineup was coming up in an eighth or ninth inning, you felt pretty good about your chances. If you were down a run or two. Yeah. And so, you know, that bottom of that order max was just ridiculous. And and, and they're the ones that won it. And, and when I was watching, even throughout the postseason, it seemed like when something got started, you know, I mean, obviously you talk about PCA, uh, you know, and, and, and Nuogu and all those guys, but it was like the bottom of the order, you know, somehow being like the spark plug, you know, for that team. And they, they came through in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah. Bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, I, I think BK and I kind of knew all along, you know, as, Great as Luis Devers was, we ran into a maybe one of the best pitchers in the Midwest League that day and David Festa. And, you know, when when he's on, you know, same with when Luis Devers is really on, uh, they're really hard to hit. And it was just a matter of getting David Festa out of the game. So once he left, uh, we felt like we were in pretty good hands trailing by just one. And I mean, you mentioned bottom of the order. You mentioned uh, Johendrick Pinago. You know, he kick starts that eighth inning. We just needed a bounce to go our way, it felt like. You know, they made some great plays on defense. They had a diving play in center, a diving play at third. You get a little blooper. You get some great hustle from a 20-year-old, legs it into a double. You get to the bullpen, new arm comes out, you know, and then just some small ball and, and a great rally. And, and what a nice even round number to end on because, I mean, that was the Cubs' 30th comeback win uh, of the <laughs> season that day. 30 comeback wins. That is absolutely unreal. So they head over to Cedar Rapids, right? And, and you, you know, you barely won game one. And then game two does not go the Cubs way. Unfortunately, they lose five to three. And so you think to yourself, you know, this is this is a series, man. They're, they, obviously, the Cedar uh, Rapid Colonels have their own successes, and, and they weren't just going to lay down for the Cubs. Yeah, Crawley, I liked the Colonels' team. I mean, they had a pretty deep team, and um, they were doing dealings with, with some injuries at the end of the year, too. But you just alluded to going to Cedar Rapids. That game three – what Daniel Palencia did, that stuff's going to be talked about for years to come in the Cub organization because of what Daniel Palencia came to the Cubs as. He was in that Andrew Chafin deal from the A's. And I think at the time, Greg Dykeman would have been the highlight prospect coming back because Palencia, I don't know, I think the exact number maybe was less than 20 innings with the A's, something like that. He had barely pitched professionally. Um, not a lot was known about him, but here's Jed Hoyer getting him almost as a throw-in in that Andrew Chafin deal. And it was nice that Greg Dykeman made his MLB debut in the same year. I mean, that should be the goal of any trade deadline deal if you're a seller. So Dykeman comes up, but here's this Palencia kid. He gets assigned to South Bend, and his first couple starts of the season, uh, walks were an issue, control was an issue, breaking ball command especially, sometimes fastball command, but he just continues to piece it together and together and together. It all culminates into this game three start in Cedar Rapids where he just dominates. I mean, five shutout innings. The guy was mowing down hitters, an unbelievable three-pitch mix, fastball, breaking ball. The guy was throwing 92-mile-an-hour change-ups. I mean, it, it was just stupid at times, I mean, what this guy was doing. So, um, again, just what they got Palencia for as a throw-in in a trade from Oakland – I don't know if Oakland knew what they had or not, but the Cubs are reaping the benefits now, Crawley. And it was unbelievable. Well, when we're talking about this here, Max, is that all of a sudden, you know, like I said, game one, amazing come from behind victory. Two to one, it was close. Then Cedar Rapids takes two, okay? So you're thinking, if you're Cedar Rapids, we got these guys. We can, we can play with them. We can compete with them, no problem. And then all of a sudden, as BK alluded to, the pitching, absolutely phenomenal, Palencia. And then all of a sudden, 
South Bend just comes out with a full run first and add another in the second to kind of, you know, knock him in the mouth a little bit. And what a game by Owen Casey, man. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, really talk about, you know, the backs of the wall winner take all game in the division round. You know, OC ties a, a career high with four RBIs, and then he came back in the winner take all game uh, of the Midwest League Championship Series and then tallied three more RBIs. So when it was really counted upon, when the lights were shining bright, brightest when you needed it the most, I mean, Owen Casey was at his best. But uh, yeah, I mean, really the tale of game three in the division round and in the championship was an early crooked number put up by the Cubs offense that took a lot of the pressure off of our starting pitcher. And in game three, at Cedar Rapids. I mean, Palencia goes out there before he throws a single pitch. We have a four nothing lead. I mean, their starter only got one out and that out was a sack fly before he was chased. But I mean, Palencia, this is far and away the most innings he's ever pitched, you know, in a year in his life. And still in that last outing that you heard BK describe, you know, his fastball is still out there sitting right at the top of the 90s. You know, he's still got a whole lot left in the tank. And, you know, we've seen amazing pitchers come through here, guys that are certainly going to make it to the big league level and, you know, have a lot of success. But Palencia, when he can go out there and throw five innings like you saw um, in game three that day, I mean, he looks like one of the best arms on, on the entire planet when you can consistently just go out there and sit you know, about 97 to 100, and 97 is a pretty rare number. It's generally about 98 to 100 that he sits at. Uh, his slider improved so much throughout the year. You know, that's a pitch that if you're guessing fastball, and you really, when a guy's throwing that hard, you got to be sitting fastball somewhat. He, he drops in 92, you know, and it's got a decent amount of horizontal movement on it. You don't have much of a chance. The changeup, I think, has gotten a lot better. You know, he'll occasionally drop in a curveball a few times a game in the low 80s. Uh, he, he looks like a world beater. You, you just see glimpses of him where you're like, there aren't many people on the planet, you know, that can go out there and do what he's doing. But I mean, credit the offense. They took all the pressure off of him early. Uh, the Colonels made one nice little rally, but, you know, their offense really you just didn't have it. Some injuries late, some promotions late, you know, a suspension. Uh, we kind of knew that if we had them with their backs to their wall, put the pressure on their offense, uh, that we were in pretty good chance. Great. So you get into the, the finals now, the championship, and, and it's uh, the Lake County captains, right? And you're taking a look, and I say to myself, I, you know, I, I got to head down, man. I'm go, I'm, I'm heading to South Bend. I can't miss what's going I traveled three states, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, two time zones. I'm like, I got to see what happens. So I'm walking around the ballpark. Everything looks beautiful. Four winds field looks gorgeous as usual. She's got the bunting on and everything like that. And I walked around, and I kind of saw the players, and they're just loose. You know what I mean? You're, you know, you like to see it. They're loose. They're throwing the football around. Everything's all good. And they come out of the gate, five runs, and they, they're just crushing the ball. And I am loud and proud, and, 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 and I'm feeling that there's going to be a whooping coming. And BK, Lake County, it was weird. They, they were like a death – you know, there was death by a thousand cuts, man. It was like whereas, whereas – That's exactly what I said. <laughs> well, I was out on the – what you would call it. I was on the – I was outside watching, so I didn't hear you, but you're absolutely right. Is that these these guys, they just single, 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 single. Every time is always an outstretched glove right up the middle. It was like, oh, my God. Like, like it's not like they're crushing any of the Cubs pitchers. I mean, and, and, and okay, I don't know if you can say it now or not, man, but I thought the ump was kind of shady. I don't know. Uh, I'll play the fifth there, Crawley. But I will say we saw we we saw you from up here down in that first row. I mean, you had the crowd electrified. Uh, my parents were like five rows behind you, and they asked me after the game, "Is like who's that guy in the first row?" I said, "Oh, that's Crawley. I mean, that that guy's a legend." So I mean, he, uh, <laughs> he, you had the crowd going, man. But I, you know what? What when I think about that game one, I, I feel so bad for Cole Franklin because he had it going in those first couple innings, uh, especially that first. Um, Cole has been through so much, uh, you know, 953 days without baseball due to COVID and due to that wild oblique injury, that was a freak thing. And, um, he has worked back so well to strengthen his arm and, um, his three pitch mix towards the back end of the year with the fastball 12, six curve and the changeup. I mean, it was looking so solid, uh, towards the back end of the regular season and, he was gunning to go, man, to go out in that championship game. I mean, he was talking about it on the bus after the division win. He was like, I'm ready to roll. I mean, only Cole Franklin uh, can be the personality that he is, too. I mean, he was so ready. And and clearly he was. I mean, those first two innings were fabulous. And and then, like you said, Crawley, just ran into some trouble with um, maybe a zone that was a little tight and, um, you know, Lake County being able to piece some hits together. I mean, Max, how many times did we say – 
uh, about the captains that what they were getting was a ton of soft contact. And that continued off of Franklin. That continued uh, against Luke Little, too, coming out of the bullpen. Matt. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, kind of as, as Crowley alluded to, it was a ground ball fest. Um, and when you, when you added on, you know, a handful of walks there, and really the only games that the, the Cubs lost in September were when, uh, you know, the strike zone got away from the pitching staff a bit and the walks started to tally up. But, man, I've never seen so many ground balls find holes uh, with that kind of frequency. It felt like every ball on the ground was a single. You know, there were a few bloop singles in there, too. And, you know, we talk about the small sample size of a three-game series. You know, you have one team putting the ball on the ground. And, you know, they had 10 ground ball singles that went through the infield that day. Um, and, you know, when that happens, I mean, you just say, you know, that's bad luck. And, you, you know, you don't like to acknowledge as much as, you know, people do that the luck factor in sports. And it was just a very unlucky day for Cubs pitchers. I mean, Cole Franklin and Luke Little, it was a whole lot of weak contact. There was one base hit of the 17 that Lake County had that day that was actually hit over an outfielder's head. Um, and they were able to put up, you know, 11 runs. That guy, that game kind of just got away a little bit. But, um, you know, Carly, something you said earlier that I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about is just the looseness of this team uh, down the stretch in any given situation, you know, back to the wall or they have the lead, they need to win to even just see the next day. Uh, I mean, this team, you know, in September was as loose a team as I've, I've ever been around. Yeah, and, and and like you said, man, it's just the Babbitt gods were not on their side that day. And I felt like, you know, as I was watching the game, I'm like, they, I could still see that they were fighting the entire time. And then Lake County had this big giant guy, was named Dion, or was it Burgos? Burgos, like Burgos just, is the big lefty. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm like, geez, Dion was a little guy. short. Yeah, he's a short righty. <laughs> Burgos is just like a giant, and he just kind of seemed to like extinguish everything. You know what I mean? It seemed, but even then, they, they come back and in, in the ninth inning, and they, they have a winning run at the plate, right? I mean, yeah. and, oh, and, and the tying run at the plate. I'm sorry, and, and so they obviously are. You know, they're never quitting, and that's that's something sometimes that that, that goes unnoticed. But you you know, you're frustrated. You lost one that you thought you had, eleven to eight. But they, they weren't done fighting. That's all. That's what I saw when I walked away from that. But when you talk about these short series, and, and I've, I've been through them up here, you know, going to the playoffs. You know, I remember in 2007, 2008, sometimes you run into these short series. And sometimes the best team doesn't always win. It's whoever's kind of lucky, whoever gets hot at that time. It, it is just crazy. And so they take they lose that one. And then they have another close game this time in Lake County that they win four to three. So again, BK, when, when all of a sudden the backs against the wall, these guys somehow find a way to win. And that one, like I said, I was driving up to, I think I was driving up to Wisconsin that day. It was a Friday night, was it? And I was driving up and I was listening to you guys. And my wife's like, pull over, let me drive. You're too nervous. You're not paying attention. <laughs> I'm like sitting there freaking out. I was like, oh my God, you know, they're, they're down one, nothing early. And you're just, yeah. You know, again, it's it, it's it was a tough one, and and the pitching, you know, everything's going good, but it was it was another close one, BK. Yeah, I think what I think about most from Game Two, Crawley, was late number one, the insurance run by Pete Crow Armstrong, a solo homer. It's going to end up being his last homer of 2022, uh, maybe one of his biggest swings of 2022. I think there was a vibe, certainly in our radio booth, but especially in the ballpark that all right, you're going to need to be up by two going to the bottom of the ninth inning against a team that is so feisty like Lake County. They could just put the ball in play, and seemingly they're going to find every hole, right? So PCA getting that home run, I mean, it was just a majestic shot uh, deep over the right center field wall onto their grassy hill. And, uh, you know, we said multiple times in the series, Lake County is definitely a hitter-friendly ballpark, and at times it could definitely be a bandbox, but PCA got it. I mean, it, it, it was not a short home run. I mean, it was – he got it. And then Michael <laughs> McAveen, you know, Mac is a guy that look, my, Michael McAveen is in double a Tennessee right now, helping them on their championship run. A yeah. big shout out to Mac, the Indianapolis native um, guy that pitched at Louisville that has been through so much since he was drafted in the third round in 2019 injury wise. I mean, he talked about many times this year, just how thankful he was and grateful he was to have a full season under his belt. Finally, um, and they can just do what he does, and and that's pitch. And um, he he has been a starter. He's been a shutdown reliever. He's been a closer. And uh, you know, kind of the stones that he had to go out there and uh, work with uh, the tying run that was 90 feet away in game two. I mean, and he got Petey Halpin, who maybe is one of the smartest hitters that I've watched in this league. He threw an inside fastball to Petey Halpin, and Halpin, a guy that 
consistently works out pretty darn good ABs. Hoppin swings at the first pitch. He gets all tied up inside fastball, just nasty. Pops it up to Luis Verdugo at third, game over. Um, a heck of a pitch to end that, and Mac definitely deserves now to be a double A. That's amazing. Now, Max, you, you talked about the looseness of the team. I mean, I didn't see it. Game three, you're you're going. It's it's you're either the champion or you're going home with nothing. The whole season is on game three. You before the game, did you sense that vibe of that looseness, that same thing that they've been playing all year? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that day it was more apparent than it was, you know, any other day the entire season long. Because you know, it it just felt like from the moment we got to the ballpark. I mean, game two felt like really the one that. Um, you know, was hanging in the balance the whole way. If we just get past today, you feel like we're in great hand, hands for game three. And, you know, Lake County had a chance there. They had, you know, second and third in the ninth inning with nobody out and trailing by two and just a gutsy performance uh, from McAveen to get out of that inning and, you know, maintain the lead. And then, you know, we had the momentum. We have Porter Hodge, who's, you know, who would be second in anybody's vote for Cubs minor league pitcher of the year going the next day. Um, so we knew we were in good hands there. And in game two, it felt like all the pressure was on us. And then when you give up the first run, you just feel like, okay, now hopefully we're not starting to press here because now it's, you know, really, you know, time to be clutch. You know, came back, tied it, went down again, came back, tied it the next time. But, I mean, that base hit from Luis Verdugo was huge to give us our first lead, then PCA's homer, uh, and then just maintaining that, you know, Crow Armstrong's homer just winds up being massive in that game. Uh, And then game three, you come out. I mean, early on the story of game three was wasted opportunities uh, for both sides. Both teams had first and second. Um, you know, bottom half of the first for Lake County, top of the second for, for South Bend. First and second, nobody out, and neither side scored. So it, it felt like both starters were kind of grinding through and some some early on nerves. And then, you know, all of a sudden, it just came out of nowhere in a scoreless game. Uh, Owen Casey hits a ball that I don't know it has landed yet. Um, <laughs> that was probably one of, if not the furthest home run I've ever seen in person. I mean, to describe it, 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 it cleared the wall, it cleared the berm, it cleared the sidewalk, and then it cleared the building they have that houses the batting cages. Uh, I mean, their uh, track man wasn't working, but it, it sounded like the estimates from the coaching staff were, were 460 plus. So, uh, I mean, the second that ball was called fair, uh, the tenor of game three really changed. Well, you know, they, they sit there in the third and they score five runs. And now I'm like, oh, yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, Lake County not giving up, man. Three <clears> runs back there. You just knew that this was going to be a ball game. But again, K, you know, the Casey with three RBIs in this one, Verdugo with two RBIs and Pablo Aliendo. BK, talk to me about Pablo Aliendo. I mean, if you would say that, you know, heart and soul of the team, I mean, Pablo's got to be up on the list there, right? Yeah. And. Crawley, there's only been a few people in my career that I've kind of given the Energizer Bunny comment to. Pablo's one of them, and the last one that I kind of labeled as that, at least in my time here, was Chris Morrell. Um, And look what Chris Morrell has turned out to be. Uh, It just seems like the guys that have that type of vibe have a future. And once they get it, they turn into a really dangerous ball player. Uh, I was left nothing but impressed, Crawley, with what Pablo Aliendo did this year. Started the year as a 21-year-old in the Midwest League. Never an easy thing to do, whether that's a low A or high A Midwest League. I remember when Miguel Miguel Amaya was here. uh, That was low A ball at the time. He was 19. By the end of the year, he was just absolutely gassed. Gassed. He was catching every day, and he was hitting cleanup every day. That's a lot of responsibility for a 19-year-old. Pablo Aliendo catches every day here, but... He primarily was a six, seven, eight hitter. And I think that took a little bit pressure, a little bit of pressure off of him because of the guys he had ahead of him in the lineup, the PCAs and Casey's and Verdugo's of the world, because they set the table for him. And then Pablo eventually just turned into a, a doubles extra base hit machine. And I could tell you with confidence, and Max knows exactly what I'm talking about here. This banner behind me, when this banner was up and Pablo Aliendo was playing on this network, I, I, I we need to calculate. I think we're gonna that should be a project for the weekend. Pablo Aliendo's batting average on Marquee Sports Network games because it was at least it was at least four hundred. There there is no way around that. So I, I love Pablo Aliendo, and uh, he was a fan favorite here for sure. Max. Yeah, you got you got Jake you got Jake Washer day games and you got Pablo Aliendo marquee games. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but just to, just to piggyback what BK said a little bit, you know, I think if we had you know a Chicago Cubs really field style, you know, just massive team store, and we had you know everybody's jersey hanging on the wall, um, 
I, I think that Pablo Aliendo might sell more jerseys here than anybody else. I mean, even more than Pete Crow Armstrong, just because, you know, the vibe, the energy, you know, the guy that he is day in and day out just oozes with positivity. I think he would sell more jerseys than anybody on this roster. I mean, the fans just absolutely love him. I mean, you go up to any kid, you ask a kid at Four Winsfield who their favorite player is, it is very often Pablo Aliendo, and their friends in the same row with them often agree. Amazing. So, you know, this is going to be a close game. And like you said, you know, all the way into the ninth, Max, you're on there, right? So BK goes down stairs. And so it's you, Max, you're in the booth by, you know, see for people that don't know in South Bend, I got a great picture of you guys, thumbs up in me. You guys are kind of together and you bounce off each other and then someone's taking play by play and someone's next. And I got to watch you guys do your, your magic and it's awesome. But but now you're in there alone, man, and 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 it's getting near the end of the game. And I I feel like if it would have been like seven nothing, you could have more easily, clearly started thinking about how you wanted to construct your call. Did you start to did you did you think about what that final call was going to be like before the game started, or did it kind of develop as the game was happening? Um, I had I mean I had thought it in the in the days and the you know even the weeks leading up to that game exactly you know what I kind of wanted to get out, maybe not verbatim, but uh, I, I mean, I knew that when the final out happened, no matter how it went down, I wanted to get out that it was, you know, title number two of the last three seasons. Cause I think that's, you know, the most important thing is just how incredible this organization has been uh, um, of late. Just, I mean, two titles in three seasons of minor league baseball is awfully impressive uh, at any level. Um, and then, I mean, the line after it that you heard right before, you know, we started this interview, um, was was just kind of you know what had been brewing we 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 get to cleveland and you're thinking okay this is cubs affiliate cleveland you know guardians affiliate um we're down in a series if we force a last game it'll be a decisive final game you know up in northeast ohio just outside of cleveland and you know the whole series long bk and i've been talking about you you can't help but think about 2016 with those two teams out there and then the fact i don't know i don't know who said it first when we realized that it was also a wednesday and you can just picture that obvious shirt. And it's just like, you know, in that final moment, I was like, you know, destiny just it, it felt like the proper word and the proper term, given, uh, you know, just exactly how this path and, and story concluded. But now be- I, mean, I, I will say I went, I went up to Charlotte Reed after the game. I was like, I think when you had two outs there in the ninth inning, the most the two most nervous people in the building were probably you and me. And I got I'm guessing that I was more nervous than Sheldon was. <laughs> well, BK, you got to be on the field and all of a sudden the mob's going out there. So I'm assuming this is the first time you've done that because you called the the the, the one in 2019. And so it's got to, it had to have been such a fun vibe to see those guys just with because that's pure joy coming out there. That's pure emotions. That's that's everything. And I just remember Max talking about you looking for someone to grab. It's got to be kind of like weird to kind of pull somebody away from all of the excitement that's going on. Yeah, that was definitely unique. And in 2019 in Clinton, Iowa, big shout out to Chris Hagstrom. Um, He was on the field doing the interviews at the time. And uh, when he was doing the interviews that year, I was like, I wonder what it's what it's like. I wonder what the approach is to like going up to somebody. So and then I get down to the field while Max is calling the ninth inning. I was like, well, I wonder what my my approach is going to be getting these guys (laughs) away from the celebration. But no, it's um, we knew we wanted to get Lance Rimmel first, our manager, for some thoughts about. Um, his first ring is a full season manager. I mean, huge shout out to Lance Crawley because it, you, we talk a lot about the prospects <clears throat> on this team. I mean, that's a managerial prospect right there. Lance Rommel is about to turn 32 years old and he's got an Arizona fall league ring. He's got a Midwest league championship ring. And you think about the guys he has played for. I mean, he was a farmhand with the Cubs. He was a catcher. He played with short season Boise, which is where I started my career. Uh, that was not a Cub affiliate at the time. But, uh, you know, when Lance Rimmel was playing Crawley, uh, I think it's important to take into account who his teammates were. Uh, he was some of the first professional teammates of Chris Bryan and Javi Baez and Albert Almora and Wilson Contreras and David Bodie. I mean, think about that Boise team. I mean, that was a stacked team, man. So Lance played with all those guys. And then he played for Buddy Bailey in Daytona. Um, he made it as far as double A Tennessee. So he was able to play for some great managers um, and then he has turned into a great manager himself due to how he has learned. So, uh, you know, look, Lance Rimmel is still eight years away from turning 40. Um, that guy's got as good as a coaching future as I've ever seen. So um, to, to work with him this year was awesome. So gr- important to get that interview first, then talk to OC and 
you know, Joe Nahas, that's a name we haven't mentioned yet. Three innings of one run ball out of the bullpen. I mean, he was the bridge between Porter Hodge and Sheldon Reed. Huge shout out to Joe, who is an expecting father coming up here in just a few months. And, um, and then talk to Sheldon who got those final three outs. That was awesome. The thing I love the most is looking at not, but on social media, all the Instagram, whether it's you guys or the players or whatever, it looked like you had fun after the clinch. It looked like you guys had, uh, had, had some good times in that clubhouse. And I'm sure the bus ride home was something you guys won't forget. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it was great to have Casey McDonald uh, in the house yeah. running, you know, running social media for us and always with the camera and always with that camera pointed in the exact right spot. Cause uh, I mean, without her uh, on that Wednesday night in East Lake, it's going to look a lot different on social media. And, you know, people aren't going to get to see uh, all that they got to see. I mean, we would never have known, you know, what OC was doing in the dugout after that home run and just how electric he was. But, you know, for fans to get to see that, to get to see the, the energy that this team is playing with. Uh, and I think going back to the Lance Rimal just for a second, we were talking about looseness. Uh, I think that's as much to do with the manager as it is with the guys on the team. I mean, these, these guys blended and meshed together so well. Uh, the players and the coaching staff, but Lance Rimmel is really a, a player's manager, and these guys get to, you know, be themselves, you know, between the land, between the lines and outside the lines. And uh, I mean, it was just an absolute blast. It, it was quite a treat. And you, you mentioned about being alone in the booth. You know, I didn't feel alone in the bottom of the ninth inning, but as soon as I looked down and BK's down there, and everybody's celebrating down there, and the front office is down there, that's when I was looking around, and I'm like, man, you know, this, this booth's feeling a little lonely now when you're not down to celebrate. <laughs> So let me just ask you guys one more question. And when you sit here and in your mind, when you think about the 2022 season, what are you going to take away most from it, BK? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you know, Crowley, I think first of all was not just the cohesiveness of the team on the field, but the cohesiveness of the front office and definitely the chemistry that Max and I had in the booth. That comes to mind first. Also big shout out to Kaylee Sedlicek, South Bend Cubs production manager and uh, Matt Florian, part of the South Bend Cubs production staff. They were responsible for all the video with Chris. Um, that's going to be coming out here in the uh, coming weeks. But um, I, on the field, what I'll remember most is just like this team just kept on replenishing and stocking up no matter who they lost. I mean, Matt Mervis is well on his way to being the Cubs minor league player of the year. When you lose Matt Mervis, Alexander Canario, Bradley Beasley, uh, more names are more DJ names hurts, are there, but uh, DJ, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Wicks. Wicks yeah. Like, when you lose that level of talent, you're not supposed to be good as a minor league team, but as a minor league organization, the guys that came up from low a Myrtle beach, the Devers and the Hodges of the world, the PCAs, BJ Murray, everybody that played a part in this championship, most of them started the year, at low A. Now, of course, there was Casey and Verdugo and Pertuz and Pinango, but just how this team gelled down the stretch. And at times this year, just the level of talent that this club had. I, I mean, this is the most depth I've ever seen the Cubs organization have. I think that's what excites me most, Crawley, about what's to come at Wrigley. What about you, Max? Where are you at? Yeah, I think he kind of, in that last couple of sentences there, said exactly what I wanted to say, which was the depth of the and the youth, uh, you know, in this organization and just how boundless it is. Uh, I mean, tonight you're going to have a chance to watch Tennessee uh, maybe, you know, win the double-A crown. You know, they're up one nothing and they're going back home to Kodak uh, with two games to try to win one and, you know, capture a title there. They have a lot of guys that, you know, were on our team, you know, in the first couple months and in the first half of the season. But, you know, the promotions it hit all aspects, right? I mean, I remember one month into the season, we lost Matt Mervis and Alexander Canario. I mean, talking about losing, you know, a core power-wise right in the middle, and you look at the lineup and you're like, okay. I, I mean, if, if these guys start to find it, because remember Owen Casey had a, had a really bad first month of the year, but then, man, his second month was incredible. And just the growth of such a young team that basically every day out on the diamond was facing guys much older than them. Uh, I mean, they just continued to grow. They showed so much poise down the stretch. I mean, I think about a guy like Fabian Pertuz, who, who was batting near the bottom of the order most of the year, who, you know, finished up in the postseason batting leadoff. Uh, a guy who does not draw walks, did not draw walks much at all for the first few months of the season. But, uh, boy, how much did that guy grow in September? You move him in the leadoff spot, all of a sudden he's so patient. He's getting a whole lot of free passes, some very timely ones at that. Um, and you think about, you know, 
this year and this season at the South Bend level kind of being, you know, a trampoline maybe for, uh, you know, what is to come in the future, uh, you know, the Cubs in a few years and of the higher levels of the system next year and the year after. I mean, uh, it's only going to get better, you know, as these guys continue to grow and rise through the system. I think this is just the first of uh, much of success to come. Well, I got to tell you guys, man, you know, from, from going out there to the very first game, I was there at the very first game at uh, four wins and I was at the very last game. And it was a, an incredible ride. Like you said, the organization from top down, I was there and Andrew Berlin was in his, his box and he was throwing things to all the fans and, and just the love that, that South Bend has for this team and, and the way that the organizations run. All I keep thinking about is good things happen to good people sometimes. And, and it was like you said, a destiny that, that this team just felt like it was, it was, it was the win with that final win was going to be there. And they were going to be that picture of them together on the field at the very end, just kind of, you can see it in their faces, man. And so I appreciate everything you guys did hopping on and, and always kind of being supportive of the podcast and everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited and hopefully you're going to get those uh, rings sized up pretty soon. And uh, BK, you got two now. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty good party trick. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I was pretty scared to wear the first run, first one. It probably took me close to like a year to actually wear the first one legitimately. But look, you, you show up at a wedding, you got one, two going. I mean, that's that's a pretty big power boost. So can't wait. I'm a, I'm a ten and a half. I just found out. So. Oh, look at that. And so, oh. hey, man, we, you know, we're definitely going to talk to you guys some more and we'll and definitely be heading back to South Bend. Thank you guys for everything. And thank you for giving, you know, for being the voices of one hell of a season. Thanks, Crawley. Yeah, thanks so much. Hey, we'll see you in April. Absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is segment season one. It is episode 36. It's segment four. It's pounding the Pittsburgh Pirates. Woohoo! Immaculate inning from West Newski. And now the Cubs are back home, back to Wrigley Field. Final week of the regular season. The Phillies are in town for a couple of games, and these games mean something to those Phillies from Philadelphia, Crowley. Yeah, they come into Wrigley with a record of 83-69 and 69 in that very tough NL East division who also has the Mets and the Braves, but they are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Bad time to go cold. They've lost their last two games. They're clinging to a 1.5 game lead over the Brewers for that final wild card spot. Cubs are 67 and 86, third in the NL Central, but six and four in their last 10 with winning series against Miami and Pittsburgh. Yep. So game one will be Tuesday night over at Wrigley, like we said. A little earlier start, so uh, make sure to set yourself a reminder. 640 start, Marcus Stroman versus Zach Wheeler. Really nice pitching matchup. Yeah, Stroman four and seven with a 380 ERA, while Zach Wheeler 11 and seven. In it with a with the 298 ERA, and you take a look. These are these are two guys that know how to get it done. Um, the Cubs have seen Wheeler. Jan Gomes has a 455 average against Zach Wheeler. So look at that. Ian Happ with a 400 average. Nico Horner in six at bats has a 500 average. So let's see what happens here. Uh, as far as Stroman, numbers don't look great for the Phillies, uh, other than JT Real Muto. He hits 353. And our old friend Kyle Schwarber hits 333 against Marcus Stroman. Kyle Schwarber, who everyone would be talking about if it wasn't for a guy named Aaron Judge, hit his 40th homer the other day. The guy that got away. I'm not going to stop beating that drum. Also, Crowley, I really want a good start from Stroman. Probably, maybe not his last start of the year for the Cubs. And he's going up against a really good lineup a competitive lineup against a team that wants to win so i think this uh this should mean a lot to him and i know as at least from one cubs fan it means a lot to me well the, you know it's been a up and down season like we've talked about with stro and uh you know he's struggled at wrigley he's done a lot better on the road so let's hope that you know he kind of has a really good start and and he can you know finish on a high note because i got a feeling he's got one more start in him 
but I don't think he, this is going to be the last time that the Cubs will see him at Wrigley. All right. So game number two, also a 640 start in the, uh, the man of the podcast, Mr. West nasty Hayden Wisniewski is starting for the Cubs, Aaron Nola for the Phillies. Yeah, Mr. Immaculate Inning is two and for one with a 2.45 ERA. Aaron Nola 10 uh, 10 for 12, but he has a 3.28 ERA. One thing about the Phillies team that you know we all kind of talk about is just the bad defense that they have, and and people always forget when the Cubs won the 2016 World Series. Yeah, they had some hitters on there, but that was one of the best defensive teams period in baseball. And that it makes a difference. You can't sit there and have a, when, when, when Kyle Schwarber is one of your best outfield gloves, that's an issue. And so <laughs> it, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a bizarre thing. They were hoping to hit themselves out of it. They're still very much in contention, but like, like I said, it's been kind of a strange one. Obviously no one's seen Hayden on uh, the Phillies. And as far as the Cubs are concerned, uh, Jan Gomes with the 375 average against uh, Nola, but uh, Hap is 0 for 6 against him. And other than that, Cubs really don't have a lot of experience against Nola. So, you know, for me, I'm going to this game on Wednesday. Okay. I saw Hayden in his debut when he came to piggyback for uh, Wade Miley against, uh, God, who was it? Was it wasn't the Giants, was it? And then, uh, you know, now being able to see him start. So this is the first time I'm going to see him start. Um, so I am super excited and, and, and definitely hoping for a great game. You know, I think we're all, I think Wrigley's going to be buzzing for this one. Yeah, that'll be Wednesday night. And then game three, we've got an afternoon affair, 120 start. You can hear it on the score, 1235 pregame. Javier Assad looking to bounce back, limit the walks. He is going against Ranger Suarez. What a name, right? Ranger yeah. Suarez. Almost I like that fake. one. Uh, <laughs> it does sound fake. I just, I just, it's one of those made up baseball names that you can't, you can't do it, but Hey, you know what? You can't argue with the results. The guy's 10 and five with a 338 ERA and 122 Ks. So, uh, don't sleep on Ranger that, uh, you know, where Javier Assad one for two, 430, 428 ERA with 23 Ks. Uh, this is kind of got me a little, you know, the Cubs have only seen Ranger Suarez once, right? But, uh, the only person that did really any damage was Alfonso Rivas. So Bodie was over, Gomez was over, Gomes was over, Hap was over, Franmil Reyes over, uh, Patrick Wisdom over, Alfonso Rivas had one hit. So uh, last time they saw Ranger Suarez didn't turn out good for the Cubs. Uh, only one guy's had a hit against him. So this one's going to be a little bit tricky. Javier, we uh, Assad, we talked about is you can't like I said. When he walks O'Neill Cruz and then O'Neill Cruz, who's like six, seven, the guy has like huge legs, steals bases, unbelievably fast. I mean, you put a guy on that can't hit, but can run. That's just a huge mistake. You know, it's like walking Billy Hamilton in the old school days. Right. And so, and so it, you know, it's just frustrating. So Javier has got to, you know, if he's going to want to stick around and, and we don't know what's going to happen with the rotation next year. And it's good for Javier to get this experience but he has to know that these guys are not going to be swinging at stuff that's not in the zone for most part. So he, he's, he's done a good job of limiting damage and I don't want to blame him too much for the last start because of the errors that we talked about, but this is a, this is a, you know, a roster that can hit, you know what I mean? You got Bryce Harper, you got Reese Hoskins, you, you know, you got JT real Muto, you got Kyle Schwarber. This is, this it's, I'm like I said, it's, it's the defense that has killed them this year, but they have a team of guys that can hit. And if you sit there and, and you make mistakes, these guys aren't going to just swing at garbage and let you off the hook. All right, Crowley, before we get into the prediction time, let's uh, preview real quick. You've got a, a big event after this podcast that we'll get into later this week for a little recap. Tell everybody about what you got going on tonight with Club 400. Yeah, Club 400, we're going to have um, – we're going to have Christopher Morell out tonight, which is very exciting. Unfortunately, it's a Monday night, so I'm going to be in pain tomorrow. But um, Miguel Esparza is coming out, the Spanish voice of the Cubs, who will be on this podcast after the season ends. And he's going to be interviewing Christopher Morell. Um, we have a pizza truck, which a food truck, which is going to be making brick pizza, brick oven pizzas. We're going to have uh, drinks. It's And he's going to you get pictures with Christopher Morell. He's going to sign up one piece of memorabilia. And so, you know, if, if you're interested in Club 400 and the charity work that we're doing, 
go ahead and uh, give us an email at flythew670 at gmail.com and I'll make sure to hook you up so you don't miss the next event because we got a lot of fun things coming around the corner. Excellent. All right, Crowley, prediction time. Um, I will go first. I will say the Cubs get one of these three against the Phillies, and I will say they get that one on Tuesday night. I am just all on board with West Nasty. I, I'm, I'm going to – what am I going to do? I'm going to go with two for three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Stroh is going to finish strong. I'm going to say game one and game two, I'm looking for the Cubs to, to come through winning. And I want Hayden to win so bad. I'm going to be in the bleachers there. So that will definitely be fun. And, you know, this is always for me a sad time because, you know, we're coming to an end. We After the Phillies, we got one more series at home, and that's it this weekend. So, you know, it's kind of time to kind of just slowly take it all in. And, 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 and you know, I know it's been a weird series. But, Dustin, it's been bizarre because, you know, the second half, the Cubs have been an over 500 team. And how many games have they been in that's been two runs? And then how many games have they lost by one run? We'll definitely do an autopsy when this is over. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's been bad seasons. I've sat through many a bad seasons. Hell, the decade of the 90s was about as bad as it can get. But, uh, you know, when it comes to seasons, and like I said, there'll be plenty of time for us to kind of dig through the ashes on this one. It wasn't the worst of a bad year that it could have been. And there's definitely glimmers of hope. Yep, could have been much worse. Crowley, have a heck of a time tonight at Club 400. Enjoy yourself Wednesday in the bleachers. I expect a full uh, uh, commitment to you on your social media account. If you want to follow along and see what Crowley's up to, make sure you're doing that. Crowley will let you know how to do that before we get out of here. Um, My plan right now is to be at the game on Friday, so I'm looking forward to doing that, but we shall see. Crowley, have a heck of a week, and uh, go Cubs. Yeah, and don't forget to follow us on our socials, Fly the W670 on Instagram and on Twitter, Fly the W on Facebook, and that email again is flythew670 at gmail.com. Go Cubs.